stand up in this hour and push back darkness. But she should begin to win souls like she never has. This is a moment in time that you and I were born into and God saw fit to put in us what is necessary and needed for this moment. And so I will tell you, in your, in your natural man, you have nothing. You've got nothing to offer. But in the spirit, you have more, more than needed to push back darkness in this hour. But, but it's time. Like, like hey, hey I, you know, I got online the other day and, and uh, it, it was interesting, you know. There was, there was this, uh, there was, so they got rules on Facebook. I don't know if you know that. They got rules. Those rules really play to one side, by the way. And uh, they, they really don't like the conservative viewpoint, but I just don't care. You know what I mean? You kick me off of Facebook. I don't care. I, I, I got cameras upon cameras upon cameras. Do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Like, but it was funny because this, this person got on and made comments like, you know, you're not allowed to say certain things on Facebook, and th- they know that. So they got on and said, hey, did somebody steal my vote yes sign? And so I just got on and said, oh, yeah, man, I mean, my, my vote no sign was stolen, too, because I realized what was going on. They were trying to, like, tell people to vote yes. So I'm, I'm going to pose this as a question, but really, I'm going to promote vote yes. And so I got on and said, as a matter of fact, my vote no, got, my vote no sign got stolen, too. And then, and they said, you know, then, then there was this, this challenge, this challenge suddenly. Now, I'm not allowed to talk, and you're allowed to talk. At what point are you permitted to talk, church? Could, how long will you allow them to tell you what you can say? Like, it's just ridiculous. How long will you remain silent and intimidated by cowards? By immoral cowards? How long? And if you, if you never talk, this is the time to talk. Like, just realize, like, for a long time, we didn't say anything. The church just kind of remained neutral, didn't say anything on, on political issues. You, you, know, you know when it became the church's business? When politics got into morality. That's when it became your business. So don't tell me that it's not my business anymore. No, no. You keep your foot out of my business, I'll keep my foot out of yours. You don't tell me what's moral, and I won't tell you what's political. How about that? But as long as you, as long as you want to walk in my lane, it's time for the church to start walking in that lane and be unapologetic about it. So I'll take it a step further. You should vote no. And as a matter of fact, you should go over to your neighbors to the left and right and tell them why you're voting no and why they, why they should vote no too. Because it's, it's, it's immoral. It is, it is a violation of the sacred heart of Jesus. It murders the unborn. It promotes authority to Rome that does not belong to Rome. And it's, it, it's a desecration of the sacredness of God in the earth. So it's time for the church to talk. So in those days of, you know, <laughs> those days of people telling me, you can't, you can't talk about politics from the pulpit. Watch me. Man. Like, okay. What's she gonna do? You gonna come get me? Come get me, man. <laughs> All right. I was made for that fight. Let's go. You know, me and Colleen will be in jail. You know what I mean? <laughs> Welcome to Church on the North Coast. And so I'm just gonna tell you, you know, you gotta vote. You 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 know, you, I'm just gonna tell you what's right and wrong. 
And you say, you're going to tell me? Yeah, because that's what that Bible says. And that's all, that's all I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you when, when politicians are wrong. I'm going to tell you when they're wrong. Right now, you got a president that's wrong. You don't like that? I'm telling you the truth. You don't have to like it, but I'm just telling you it, there, are, there are immoral uh, behaviors and laws that he's passing that violate the sacredness of God in the earth. You say, no, that's not true. Well, go read the Bible and then take the Bible and, and put it up against that. I'm not suggesting that any of them are perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm, ta- but I'm saying it is in the hands of the, of the church to make a difference in the earth. You say, how so? Well, Abraham went to God, and he, he said he began to appeal to the Lord on behalf of Sodom. Remember? He said, he said God, if I find 50, will you spare Sodom? If I just find 50. 50 among 340 million. Will you spare America if I can find 50? God said, yeah, I'll do it. 40? I couldn't find 50, but what if I find 40? If you find 40, Troy, I'll do it. How about 30? If you find 30, Troy, I'll do it. How about 20? Troy, if you find 20, I'll do it. He walked them all the way down to 10. That tells me the power of the church. Don't you tell me a praying and believing church does not have the power to save Sodom in its hour. It does. And if we will stand up in this hour with courage and moral clarity and a galvanized spirit and stand up in front of every demon and power and principality of of darkness, we will push back the threshold of darkness on our time and we will keep the door open for souls to be rescued from the pit of hell that's what it's about it's about souls being rescued from the pit of hell i was born in 1973 happy birthday to my beloved sister mary god bless you i love you we were born right in the throes of that time where it would have been permissible for somebody to get rid of us out of convenience but i counted a blessing and i know the providence of god on her life, on my life, on your life. There's the providence of God on your life. You are allowed to to breathe. And because of it, you are making a difference in the earth. And how many countless souls are not permitted breath because they are an inconvenience to us? Or we think we know something. You know, they told me before my daughter was ever born that she uh, she would be born with deformity. Her head was too big. That's what they said. Her head was too big. Uh, I, I can just testify to you today. She is way smarter than me. Uh, she is brilliant. She, she can quote the entire book of the first three chapters of Luke without even looking at it. So I, I think, I think we, we're able to see things that we have no business seeing, and we're making decisions we have no business making. And so that stuff belongs to God. Just let God handle his business, and, and he'll take care of it. Amen. So um, I need to receive the offering today. And as I do that, I just want to testify. Are there, were there, if you served in trip to hell uh, la, uh, on Friday, can I get you to stand to your feet? If you served in trip to hell in any capacity, to stand to your feet in this room, trip to hell, trip to hell. Can you put your hands together for these servants of God? I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you to everyone in this room. I want to say thank you. I want to recognize you and let you know hundreds upon hundreds of souls made the decision for Christ. And I just want to testify, like, 
on the goodness of God in our hour. I believe God's starting a revival. You could be seated. I believe God's starting a revival. What I saw the other night gave me such hope. It filled me with such joy. I'm telling you, we would do an altar call at the end of the night, and I'd say, if you want to give your heart to Christ, before I could get the words out of my mouth, hands shot up. A third of the room, hands shot up. And I'd say, if you make that decision tonight, I want you to run to that door over there. And I'm telling you, they ran over the seats, not on a, not slow. They ran as fast as they could to give their heart to Jesus. And we did five productions of nearly 700 people in each production. And every time we did the altar call, hundreds upon hundreds of people ran to the door to give their life to Christ. And I'm telling you, the harvest is ripe. It is ready. I pray right now. How many would believe with me for 30,000 souls? You're in this room. Raise your hand if, you, if you're believing for 30,000 souls. All right. I pray right now. You Keep them up. Keep them up. I pray right now the conviction of the Lord upon your life to lead one. I pray a burden for one this week. A burden for one that Jesus would leave 99 and you would send him after the one you give hope to. You don't have to see the result of leading them to Christ. You just must reveal his goodness, his person to them, his name to them, his hope to them. I pray the conviction of the Lord. You are the mightiest soul winner of your time. You are the one in your family who will lead hundreds upon thousands to Jesus. I pray the conviction of the Lord upon your heart to lead one to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we receive the offering, let's pray for it together. Thank you for giving. Uh, you know, trip to hell is not cheap. It costs a lot of money. But, uh, you know, $15 was the cost of a soul. $15 was the cost of souls on Friday night. $15 was the cost of a ticket to get in. And it was so amazing. Thank you for giving. Thank you for allowing us to put that production on. Next year we'll do two nights. Um, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll shorten it up a little bit so we can get more people through. But it was absolutely inspiring and, and glorious to see. We were all crying at the end of the night at what God did. So let's pray for your giving tonight, today. Father, thank you for every gift, every giver in the house. Thank you that as they give, we command the blessing upon it. I command the blessing of heaven upon your gift today. I declare as you sow this in the natural, you reap the eternal. I declare you reap what only heaven can bring. As you sow naturally, you reap healing peace, joy, comfort, strength. I declare the victory of Christ over you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Have your Bible. Go with me to John 8. I'll try to, try to run through this quickly for you so we can. Do the Browns play today? What time do they play? Oh, we got till four. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> You're going to get the exhausted uh, Thompson edition of this message. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Somebody time me. I'm going to be 29. Psych. <laughs> no, I'll be 30, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. John 8, 31 to 32. This is, uh, this is perhaps, this is perhaps, you know, num top five scriptures, I believe, in all of, the, uh, all of the word. This right here is one of those life uh, verses that every believer should, should put to memory and, and really understand and comprehend uh, completely because this one this one really it, it'll change your life once you grab it and put it in your spirit and, and as I get started I want to tell you this you know God gave manna God gave manna yes. and that was a miracle right it was a miracle but God knows 
We can't live on miracles. You can't live on miracles. So he dried up the manna. He dried it up. Because he didn't want you to replace the miracle for his presence. He doesn't want you to confuse moves of miraculous power with his daily bread. You see, you don't need a miracle as much as you need the presence of Jesus every day. Tick-tock, 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 every day. You don't need a miracle. You need Jesus. Presence You see, it's the presence of God that we need. We don't sing songs for goosebumps. We sing the songs because he says, if if I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. We sing songs because the Bible says he is enthroned in the praises of his people. We sing songs, why? So presence will permeate every molecule of air rest upon every hard heart and transform and change every life that is present. We don't preach sermons because we got something to talk about. God forbid if we start preaching sermons without presence. You don't need my words. I got nothing for you, man. Matter of fact, if you listen to my words, that they're... I promise you, Jacob's still in there, man. He fights to get out every once in a while, and I got to push him back, you know. Only thing powerful enough to keep Jacob in his seat these days is Jesus. Because I got to tell you, the people out here, I mean, the, the stuff that's happening in the world will test your Jacob. Start talking crazy. Hey, man, you're testing my Jacob right now, and the old Troy is not the one to be treated that way. Right. Mike Tyson, you know, he had it right. Everybody's, you know, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. You know, everybody's got something snappy to say until somebody punches you in the mouth. Like, man, and my old man's like, my old nature's like, yeah. Some people just need punched in the mouth. And then Jesus is like, Troy, you shouldn't say that. I'm like, I know, I just, but God, violence sometimes, you know, no, Troy. So presence, you don't need a sermon, you don't need my words, you need the presence of Jesus, the oil of God. It's the oil, breaks, it breaks yokes. The oil of God, you, you, you Words without oil are powerless. You need presence on your words, man. Because there's, there's chains and shackles that are even in this room right now. Chains and shackles. Binding people up. Making people mad. And the only thing that's going to break that is presence. Oil of God. The Messiah, which means the oily one. The one who burns like fire. That's it. You need presence. And John 8 says, 
31, John 8, verse 31 says, He said to the Jews who believed in him. That's important. Because I want you to see he's not talking to the Jews who didn't believe in him. But he's talking to believers. <coughs> and he said to them, If you abide in my word, you abide in my word. You are my disciples indeed. I want to stop and talk about that. I don't have time. But there is a difference between a disciple and a Christian. They didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves disciples, which meant they entered the narrative with the understanding that there was work in them that had to be done. Mm. We, we, we as Christians entered the narrative with this pride and arrogance uh, and this assumption that his work is finished and we are complete and we know and therefore. And, but if we, would, if we would change our entry into the narrative, into the conversation, we would come in saying, I'm not what I was, but I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm a disciple who is being trained and learning how to become more and more like him every day. Day. Says if you abide in my word, I need paper. Somebody got paper I could just hold in my hand. No, not that, a Bible. Not not <laughs> no, I don't need your notebook. <laughs> she gave me her notebook. I said, no, no, I don't need you. Oh, this is this is okay, fine. It's, it's pink, y'all. It's pink. All right, all right. Fine. Spirit of Adrian in me right now. You know? <laughs> My brother. <laughs> I'm too masculine to be holding a pink Bible. <laughs> because I love you, sister, I'm going to hold it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Said, if you abide, yes. if you abide in, in my word, and my word abides in you, yes. right? Then you are my disciple. And you will, by abiding in this, now let me, let me make, Let's define what abide means. It means to remain. It means to, to uh, stay in, you know. But I'm going to give you a better definition. Every Christian in here, if you're a believer, raise your hand if you're a believer. Believer? Okay, good. Everyone that, ra- everyone that just raised your hand, you live your first reality in one of two places. You either live your first reality from the word and the person of Jesus, and I'll clean that up in a minute, or you live your first reality outside of the word and the person of Jesus, meaning your first reality is out in the world, and when you're confronted with something, you take what you, what you confronted with, and then you go in, and then you go in to the second reality 
of your life, which is Jesus. Then you go in. Once reality hits you, once, once this down here becomes too much for you to handle, then you go into your second reality, which is Jesus. And Jesus here, here Jesus says, those who make me their first reality, who live in me as their first reality, those, those that do that will know the truth. Go back. And the truth, once you know the truth, the truth then will do what? It'll bring you freedom. It'll bring you deliverance. There's so many of us who can't get free because our first reality is the world. And conversely, Jesus says, I want you to make me your reality, your only reality. I want you to live so much in me that when something comes knocking at the door, you don't answer. I want me, I want my presence to be so much a reality. Now here, you cannot separate the word of God from the person of Jesus. The moment you take the word without the presence, you will begin to manipulate it and use it for your reality outside of Jesus. Case in point, if I text you something, you're open to, you're open to translate that text in whatever manner or mood you are in in that moment, correct? You ever get a message from somebody in a text form and you go, I can't believe he just said that like that to me. Because text can be misinterpreted without presence. The word of God can become a sword in the hand of the person that creates damage outside of his presence so we must never we must never give in to the temptation to to use the word without his presence see it's easy to if i send you a text it's easy to misinterpret that text but if we sit down for coffee and we're sitting there and we're looking at one another it's very difficult to separate my words from my heart now suddenly my presence my presence confirms my words my words confirm my presence now there's no confusion i know jesus somebody tried to question my knowing of jesus they'll say listen you know him you know him by that bible i know him by his presence and I want you to see there's a difference. And so we, we must never attempt to know him only through the logos and not through the revelation of his person. This is why we push to his person. We don't want a sermon. We don't want a song. We want his person to come into the room and to be felt in the room. How many know he does not need an introduction when he comes into the room? When the oil comes into the room, when the person of Jesus comes into the room, you know he's there. I 
can, I can immediately know the presence of Jesus in the room. Because when he comes, I, I do one of two things. I have this inexpressible joy that makes my tongue do weird things. I start talking crazy. I start speaking in language that is not of this world. But I cannot, my mouth won't say the words that can express the glory of his re- revealed presence. That's what tongues is, by the way. Or I weep under the pressure of the glory of the weighty pressure of God. I'm like, oh, God, I choke and I weep because his presence is there. There's no confusing presence. And if you're going to choose one over the other, I would, I would say, well, you, you cannot know him unless you love this. But he will reveal himself. Even if you don't know this. (gasps) He revealed himself to me way before I ever knew this. The Bible says you are seated. You and I are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That means you exist simultaneously, whether you like it or not, in two places. Your spirit is in the presence of of glory. This is why the Bible says you are more than conquerors because your spirit does not know how to lose. It's victorious because it sits with Christ. It's victorious over sickness, disease, death, strife, bitterness, offense. It's victorious. But your flesh, your flesh and your soul are here in this, in this world. And Jesus in this text says, you must choose as a believer what your first reality will be. Will your first reality be the presence of Jesus? Will you remain in Christ no matter what happens out there? Will you remain in Christ no matter what the doctor says? No matter what the forecast says for tomorrow? Will you remain inside of Christ no matter what happens? Will you make Christ your first reality? If Christ be your first reality, when trouble comes knocking... You will, you, will, you will look out. I want to encourage you, don't come out. Come on, look at your neighbor, don't come out. You know that's the trick of the enemy, to pull you out and to keep you out. Because he wants your reality to be what the doctor says. He wants your reality to be what sickness says. He wants your reality to be what your circumstances. He wants you to feel rejected. He wants you to feel hated and despised. He wants you to feel bitter and angry all the time. He wants you to. So his one objective is to pull you out and keep you out. But when it comes, you have a choice. Will you answer? And and if you remain in Jesus, here's the the brilliance of it. If you remain in Jesus, when you come out, because you will be tempted to come out. Like, they'll drag you out, man. They'll drag you out. But when you come out, see, depending on where you've spent more of your time, where you've spent more of your time will determine how you respond. If you've made the world your reality, then you will, you will succumb to sickness, disease, reports of the, of the world. But if you make Jesus your reality, you'll poke your head out 
And you'll say, no, no, I don't want none of that. I don't need no sickness. I don't need no strife. I don't need no bitterness. I don't need no offense. I don't need no gossip. I'm going back in. I'll see you later. I love you, but I'm not coming out. I'm staying in here. You got to talk to people through the, through the window of Jesus. You crack open it. What do you want? I told you, I'm not coming out. Come out and talk to me. I don't want to talk to you. You got nothing good to say to me. I'm staying in here. So you got to stay. Make Jesus your first reality. So here. So if you remain in his word, then you'll know truth. If his word is not your first reality... You will be deceived and not know it. Look at me. If his word is not your first reality, if his presence is not your first reality, you will not be able to detect the lie. The ideologies of this world will be 99% true, but there will be 1% of the lie. And if you live in the world more than you live in Jesus, you will not be able to detect the lie. And the inability to detect the lie is deception. And once you are deceived, you are in bondage. You are in bondage. He says, but, but if, you, if you make my presence your reality, my presence will reveal truth. You will be able to see the lie way off as it comes to you. You'll be able to detect it, and you will be able to live in freedom rather than live in captivity. See, see lies lead to captivity, and truth leads to freedom. And if you remain in the word, in the person, in the presence of Jesus, you will be free. A lot of us can't get free. You know, want to know why we, we can't get free? Because we, we visit Jesus, we don't abide in Jesus. Right. We, we come see Jesus on the weekends, and then we go home and we make all the rest of the world our reality. And Jesus, Jesus says, if you will habitate within me, if you'll make my presence your habitation, then I will bring truth to your life. I will, I will expose the lies of the enemy, the gener, generational curses of the enemy. I will expose them. I'll expose when pride is getting in your way, Troy. I'll expose when, when lies of, uh, of the enemy come to you. I'll expose them. And when I expose them, I'll keep you free. People can't get free and stay free. They get delivered momentarily. But the, the, re, the, the reality is they, they, they come out of Jesus and they stay out of Jesus so they can't keep delivering. We should stop casting devils off of people and we should, we should just encourage them, go in Jesus, don't come out. When did you come out of Jesus? The last time, you see, when you came out of Jesus, the demon came back. Here's the principle, here's the principle. Some of y'all are looking at me. Like... So the goal, the goal is this, of the enemy. What's the goal? Dan, come help me. Go inside Jesus. Matthew, Matthew 12, 43 to 45. Here, I want you to see this principle. Matthew 12, 43 to 45. says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, he can rest and finds none. He, then he says, I'm going to go back to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. So, Dan, come on for a second. So what happens is, Stuff gets on us. 
Stuff gets on us. We come to church. The presence and the, and the power of Jesus is present. The word is preached. The presence of Jesus comes. And we go into Jesus. And whatever's on us, when you go into Jesus, whatever's on, you can't stay on you once you go into Jesus. It's locked out. It's locked out of Jesus. It can't stay on you. But here's what the scripture says. Here's the principle. The principle says this. But the trick of the enemy smart, smart believer. Go away. <laughs> He'll talk to you. The enemy will talk to you. He said, hey, man, those people don't love you. Jesus doesn't love you, man. Come out here for a second. Oh, I got you. <laughs> Literally. This is how he works. Look at me. This is how he works. Once you poke your head out, he's in your head. He plays with your mind and your thoughts. Knock on the door. Poke your head out. Grabs you. And once he grabs you, he gets in your mind. You remember, see, it's always been this way. It'll always be this way. They talk bad about you. They did this. They did that. You're this. You're that. The doctor said that. Your situation said this. Your family, your, your mom died. Your dad died. Then, you know, you're probably going to die too. And the next thing you know, he pulls you out of Jesus. Now, the, now, it's not done, man. It's not done. Every time he pulls you out, it's harder to get back in. Because what does Scripture say? It says, once you went in, you got clean, the, the devil went looking for more. He couldn't find any, so he grabbed seven of his friends. Give me seven people. Come up here. Seven, seven of his friends. Just give me seven people real fast. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Come on. Run, run, run. And you stand between Dan. Come on, come on. Seven, seven. Stand between Dan and Jesus. You stand between Dan and Jesus. I need one more. There you go, Clay. He, he, we're not going to run you over this time. Dan's not going to do that. <laughs> Last time we did this illustration, Dan, Dan jacked somebody up. <laughs> he got back in Jesus. <laughs> this is the principle. I want, I want to tell you this because this is what's happening. This is what Jesus said would happen in the, in the last of the last generations. He said, the devil will work as hard as he can to pull you out. He will use offense. He will use family. He will use circumstances. He will get in your mind. He will take, this is why the Bible says it's so important to take every thought, what? Captive. You take thoughts captive because you recognize them as a lie. And you replace the lie with the truth. Where's the truth come from? The word and the person of Jesus. Once you get the word and the person of Jesus, you put that in there and you say, no, I will not live in deception because deception will make me live in bondage. I'll be perpetually sick. I'll be perpetually offended. I'll be perpetually in a place of sin, addiction, where I can't get free from stuff. Why can't I get free from stuff? Because we keep coming out. And every time we allow the enemy to pull us out, the demonic activity becomes even harder, and it's harder to get back in. The addiction becomes more controlling. The thoughts become more overwhelming. You become more worried, more anxiety, or more and more and more. Why? Because you let the enemy pull you out. But here's the truth. So I don't have time to go into Matthew 4, study it. There are three ways that the enemy will come to you. Three ways. Carnal appetites. This is what he did to Jesus. The carnal appetites. 
to try to get you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Stay right there, Dan. Three ways, three ways that the enemy will try to tempt you the same way. Everyone understand this. Same devil, different age. He don't have, he's not original. So he's not, he got no more original lies. So the same way he tried to tempt Jesus to come out of the will of the Father, he's going to try to tempt us to come out of him. So the same tricks he played with him. What did he do? He, he, he's hungry. He's out in the wilderness. His carnal appetites are at the height. Just understand, when you're hungry and you're empty, you're at your weakest. Understand when your soul is empty, you're in trouble. Understand when your emotions are spent and you got nothing more to give. You're in, you're, you're in a dangerous place. You must remain in Jesus. You can't come out. I don't care how much they provoke you. I don't care how much, you know, they try to, you know, instigate you to come out. Demons will do their best. Why? Because they know your habits. They know your habits, man. They don't know your thoughts. They just know your tendencies. They know, I know how to tempt Paul because I've seen him fall this way so many times. So it's, I don't have to come up with a new trick. I just keep using the old trick because it works. comes to Jesus, and he says, you know, if God loves you, if you're hungry, and he said, if you're hungry, eat this bread. And he tries to get him to eat the bread. And Jesus said, no. So how will he come? He'll try to tempt you carnally. He'll try to tempt you to come out of Jesus carnally. He'll tempt you with, you know, whatever tempts you. Whether it's the computer, or whether it's gossip, or whether it's, you know, you know pride, or whatever. However he knows and has seen your, your proclivity to fall, he will tempt you there. Secondly, he says, he says, let me show you. He says, Matthew 4, 5 to 7 says, if you are... If you are the son of God, takes him up high and says to Jesus, hey, if you are the son of God, you should jump. Because if God loves you so much, you wouldn't be going through this. If you was really his son, would you be going through this? If, you, if, you, if he, God really loves you, so what he'll try to do, secondly, is he'll try to question God's love for you. Yes. He'll try to get you to question God's love for you. And he'll say, well, God must not love me, the doctor said. Or God must not love me, this, this situation. So, so he'll try to get you to question God's love for you. And then what that does is it, cre- it makes you bitter. Oh, it makes you bitter. Then you become angry. Now you're angry at God. For, for bringing this to you. And you're angry at everyone else who believes in them. You can't stand those people. They did this and they did that. And next thing you know, we're just, I can't stand those people. I can't, I, the, the church. Ah, yeah. And the last way, the last way he'll try to pull you out, he said in, in Matthew 4, 8 to 10, he takes him up on a mountain and he says, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you control of all of that. It's the control delusion. He'll say, you should, you, should, you should run your own life. You should do your own thing. You should be in control of your life because, you know what? What does God know anyway? Look at the condition you're in. Why don't you just take control of your life? Anytime, anytime we operate 
with a spirit of manipulation, it's satanic worship. That's what the scripture says. He said, I'll give you control if you worship me. So anytime we try to gain control for our own means, it's satanic worship. And this is what he tempts us with. You think it's any accident that the elites of the world right now are contending for control? All the nations of the world are posturing themselves. Why? They want to be in control. It's got nothing to do with money. It's got everything to do with control. And that's the biggest deception. Power? Oh, powers. Everybody, you ever been in a room where there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians? Isn't it? It's hard to be in those rooms, isn't it? It's hard to be in those rooms because you're like, like, why does everybody want to control everybody? Here's an idea. Let's just find out what Jesus is doing, and we'll do that. He can be in control, not us. How about we do that, church? Let Jesus control our lives. Thank you, Dan. But here's the, here's, I close with this. The Bible says this in Luke 15, 4. It says, if you ever find yourself outside, if you ever find yourself on the outside of Jesus, it's a dangerous place to be. And, and inevitably, you will, you will be in that place at some point. I don't care how strong you are, how how much you know the word. There's going to be a situation, a circumstance that happens where you find yourself outside of the presence of Jesus. He says, if you ever find yourself there, I want you to do this. I want you. In that moment, I want you to understand that you are like a lost sheep. Sheep are, we like to think we're smart, but we're not really that smart. And the Bible calls us sheep. We're sheep. The thing about sheep, sheep are the, this, that they're so dumb. <laughs> we are so dumb that we will follow one another to our own demise. And the scripture says that That when we're lost, Jesus hears our cry. And we're like sheep bleeding. It's interesting, the etymology of the word bleat. It means the cry of God's children. To bleat, when we cry, it's we cry out and our Father hears us. When we're lost, he hears us. Because he knows that we, you, me, persons to the left and right of you, does not have the strength to save yourself. So the Bible says he leaves those who are safe, and he comes running after us. The one. Come on, I was the one. You're the one. You could say it. I'm, I'm the one. He found me. We like to believe that we found him. You ever have somebody say, I found Jesus. Was he behind, your, was he like behind the, claw, the couch? Or what? Where was he? Was he hiding in your, like, is he playing hide and go seek? You didn't find him. Man, he found me. 
He found me lost. He found me angry. He found me broken. He found me. He found me. He found me in sin. He found me. Why? Because there was one night on 5th Street in the middle of the night in the darkest hour of my life where I cried out and I was like a sheep bleeding in the middle of the night and he heard my cry. And miraculously, he moved the like chess pieces. He moved the world around and he came running to find me and he found me in a field out there off a Levitt Road at a Trip to Hell production and he rescued me and he saved me from my sin. He rescued me. So I want you to know like you can't, you will never be strong enough to fight those demons. You want to know why you can't do it? You want to know why you can't quit? You want to know why you can't stop? Because those demons are stronger than your will. Those demons will beat you up. The only one strong enough, greater, is He who is in me than He who is in the world. I need the greater one to be in me. So when I am in this world, I can find my way back back but he I can't do it without him and you can't do it without him either you need him today so if you're in this room and you're going through something and it's hard and the doctor said or your circumstance say or you're worried or you're anxious or you're you're broken or it can't seem to find the way to put it all back together I just know this that when we as God's children cry out in the wilderness we're in there's this image. Do you have it back there? There's this image. It's so compelling. I want you to see it. It's like. That's me. That's you. And that's Jesus coming to save you. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon his name, he comes and he rescues. He leaves he leaves the throne of heaven and he comes to our cry with every head bowed, every eye closed right here. He, you can make him leave the throne of heaven and come to your cry right now. So whatever your cry is, I just invite you to lift your hands before the Lord right now in the presence of the Lord and just lift your hands and say his name, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, hear my cry. Jesus, hear my cry. Come and rescue me. Somehow, God, make sense of it all. Lift me out of the mire. Lift me out of the mud. Find me in my wilderness. Find me in the midst of my sin. Find me in the midst of my trouble. Find me. I cry out to you, Jesus. Jesus, save my kids. Jesus, rescue my children. Jesus, protect my grandchildren. Jesus, heal my neighbor. Jesus, heal my friend Dennis. Jesus, I cry out to you. I cry out to you for rescue, God. Won't you come? Won't you come? Put us on your shoulders now, Jesus. Put us on your shoulders. and May we feel the strong shoulders of Christ carrying us through what we're going through, through the heartache, through, through the loss. May we feel the strong arms of Jesus carrying us through our pain. May your whisper be so loud because you're carrying us. 
May your breath be so warm upon our neck as you carry us. Bring comfort, clarity, strength, victory, healing. Put it back together, Jesus. You say, I don't know how, but I know he does. I know he knows how to put it back together. How can it be? Only he knows. But you can't do it and I can't do it. We must trust him to do it. We trust you, Jesus. We trust you. I forgive, Jesus. I forgive. I forgive. Because I know if I don't forgive, then you can't forgive me. So I forgive. Bless your people today, Lord. You're here today and you've never called upon the name of the Lord. His name is Jesus. Never given your heart to Christ. Pray this prayer with me, Lord Jesus. I ask you to forgive me my sin. Come into my heart and make me new. Make me new. Take this life that you created and use it all for your glory. I surrender it to you now. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. Live right. Love everybody. Pray hard. God bless you as you go. God bless you.